easy to be negative on the future right now. Averages trend up across all quality of life indicators, yet our physical environment and even humanity itself seem distinctly fragile. Sure, humanity has before confronted many of the challenges we face today. Inequality, deep political divide, distrust of government, democracy fighting to hold its designation as the best of the worst, even natural resource constraints and climate change. Though input factors driving our reality are familiar categorically, their cumulative effects now are exponential. Now we face many challenges, and unlike ever before, we can't just focus on one, we have to solve them all. As we prioritize economic growth, peace, healthcare, and education, our world's economic machine works better, and more people become able to consume like Americans. As we heard from Jared, as China, India, and South America look increasingly American in their consumption patterns, our world's effective population approaches 70 billion, about 10 times our current population. To save humanity, we need radical reinvention of our operating systems. During the Enlightenment era of the 18th and 19th centuries, average citizens of Europe became collectively extraordinary. Voltaire, Smith, Rousseau, Kant, Locke, Mozart, Newton, so many people alive at the same time sipping the same lattes advanced the ideological infrastructures of philosophy, science, art, religion, governance, sociology, economics, and literature. Bright minds and a sense of urgency compelled human progress. In order to be bullish on the future of mankind, you have to again believe that we have enough minds who are capable of reinvention to solve our problems. Humanity's potential rests squarely on our ability to cultivate human potential. Conveniently, the making of a great mind and the making of a great nation happen when major societal operating systems work well. From birth to death, we are a product of our context. That context is in part hardwired, our DNA, but mostly evolved as we grow up with family and friends in our homes, schools, communities, and in our jobs. When families work well and schools work well, healthy nations tend to follow. So long as there's a chance for us to develop enough minds capable of saving humanity from man-made extinction, we have to try. I've spent the last few years considering human potential, individual, one person's potential to develop, and collective, humanity's potential to survive. The two intersect when you realize that education develops the individual towards its upper bound, and individuals who evolve to live out higher points on their curve raise the collective ceiling of a nation. Most people buy that education matters, and even that our education system is broken, yet real reform hasn't happened. Attempts come from the bottom up, K-7 schools that experiment with project-based learning, internships and flipped classrooms, or from the outside in. Challengers to the traditional college, like the Minerva Project or Teal's Under-20 Fellowship. Yet curriculum in our K-12 schools on the whole remains rooted in the manufacturing economy of the early 1900s. Harvard is the end goal of our education system because Harvard buys you a ticket to a better life. So long as admission to Harvard and its peers constitutes as winning, it makes sense that our K-12 schools train their kids to have the best shot at getting in. Throughout the 1900s, the downward force elite liberal arts schools exerted on K-12 schools grew, first with the SAT, then the SAT subject test, the ACT, and AP tests. So standardized college admissions tests hyper-focused our entire system on content mastery, and our kids learn stuff instead of the skills and abilities they need. Though Harvard was originally designed to serve elites, it's now the effective custodian of our entire education system, a system where change flows from the top down. So when Harvard sneezes, the other elite colleges catch a cold. Then top high schools, middle schools, elementary, even pre-K schools get sick too. 
So when you're a parent preschool shopping in New York City for your unborn child, you hear about Harvard admission rates. The core misalignment between training kids for college and preparing kids for life stems from Harvard's faith to its original intent of educating elites with a theoretical liberal arts education. Now, preparing for and succeeding in an elite liberal arts environment was once the best preparation for life in our information economy, our economy pre-ubiquitous computation. But today, the elite liberal arts education teaches us how to think for times past, while computers already think for now and for the future. Computers find the information they need to do their reasoning, actually do that reasoning, and then confirm their answers. To thrive in our innovation economy, to work alongside intelligent machines, we have to teach our kids to think beyond the way computers do. Changing how and what we teach starts with changing how and what we measure. Embellus is building assessments that evaluate how people think instead of what they know. It's easiest to think of our assessments by using chess as an analogy. Chess has a game board, pieces, and rules that dictate possible board positioning. Our assessment takes place in a virtual world, our quote-unquote game board. Our virtual world is a simulation of the natural world. So terrain, plants, animals, weather, the laws of physics and chemistry serve as our pieces, each bringing rules that determine their emergent interactions as our simulated world evolves. The possibility space of events we serve up to players and how we allow players to manage their simulated world represents our game layer, akin to the rules and strategies players learn in chess. Finally, our assessments layer, how players deal with scenarios they encounter, ties the nature of thinking players do in our virtual world to the type of thinking and work they do in the real world. Through our virtual world, we assess cognitive skills that matter for this century. Skills like problem solving, critical thinking, creativity, imagination, and systems thinking. We look at every click, almost click, and action to understand the essence of how people process, develop ideas, and make choices. Because the standardized testing industry has long relied on subject-specific memorization as a proxy for thinking assumed to be happening behind the scenes, we don't even have clear notions of what skills like problem solving mean. So Embellus is working with best-in-class firms who leverage these skills across contexts in real life to derive new definitions. First, we're learning about what good problem solving looks like with our client, one of the top management consulting firms, a firm that solves problems as its core product. Together, we'll assess 300,000 applicants each year. Then, armed with massive validation data, we'll approach Harvard and its peers to replace current college admissions tests and reshape K-12 fast enough for it to matter. If Embellus succeeds at building an abstracted but true-to-life simulation of the natural world, we'll be able to evaluate more than just individual human potential. We'll be ready to model out scenarios of what happens to humanity depending on the choices we make. Now, maybe the idea of computing a simulation of the natural world seems far beyond where computation is. It might be right now. But consider the history of human and computer evolution. Humans started by developing the right hardware, emerging from apes. We then figured out, through trial and error, which things to eat, drink, and light on fire. As we met our basic needs, our attention shifted to more conceptual tools, like religion, community, and organization. Our desire to spend less time hunting and gathering and more time participating in those social constructs led us to develop tools, processes, and goals to drive not just individuals, but groups, like tribes, states, and civilizations. Those groups developed operating systems to improve the quality of life of their members. 
What worked well in one group, like public education, spread to other groups and lasted. So humans went from basic hardware to hardware optimization to operating systems to software to software optimization to the sharing of their optimized selves. The core challenge for humanity now is understanding the input parameters governing our optimization function and having some notion of what our solution state looks like. Computation has evolved from leveraging supervised learning to solve for optimization functions with human input parameters to leveraging unsupervised learning through tools like neural networks that figure out how to define the problem they'll solve, the factors to consider in solving it, and the nature of the ideal solution. In my synthesis of human and computer evolution, I'm proposing that humanity cannot evolve to reach its next phase, another Enlightenment era, unaided by machine intelligence. Not only can we use computation to understand how the choices we make now will impact our future, we must. During the Enlightenment era, we developed the foundation of nations. We created operating systems prescient enough that our software systems still run on them today. Grasping how our future will change, understanding and visualizing it enough for it to feel real is hard. But our Enlightenment heroes did just this, with way less data, computation, and history behind them. They understood the critical importance of developing the individual mind to evolve nations. They had the audacity to try to compute the seemingly incomputable. Now we must again have the audacity to try to compute the seemingly incomputable. Only this time, computation is on our side. Thank you and welcome to Embellus. <laughs>